Good day to you. This is the Key Row Film Society. I am Pastor Neil, and today I react to the 1999 film, The Matrix. Good day to you this day, which is Monday, August 30th, 2021. And like I said, we are going into this movie that is The Matrix. Uh, so the movie came out in 1999, and I'm going to go in a little bit of the background of this. So I've been going through this whole period in my recent recordings and going through these movies from basically the years of 97, 98, 99, 2000, and 2001 so the end of two, the second half of 97 and the first half of 2001 and the reason why i'm focusing on that time period is because it's kind of it's kind of a reminiscing thing of a period of my life and as i mentioned that's the years i was in high school and so the matrix when it came out i remember going to it in theaters um i went there with one of my good friends from when i was growing up uh his name was michael and we had gone to the movie. I actually had no nothing about the movie. I had he had heard it was a really good movie. It was really interesting to see, but I knew absolutely nothing. Um, so we're talking about back, and we're talking about back of the day when you could, you know, you didn't have uh, movie trailers up on your um, Facebook all the time or whatever, because Facebook didn't exist at that time. The primary internet that most people that I was using was. Uh, AOL and AOL Instant Messenger. So, uh, you know, sometimes you heard about movies that are coming out, sometimes you didn't. The news didn't travel the way it does today. And so, like I said, I didn't really know much about the movie. And so I went to it, and I will say that, the, you know, the movie just, wow, blew my mind. I mean, the concept of the movie... And is wow was wow it like blew me away really got me thinking, and the movie itself because you had fight sequences you had uh, cinematography you had special effects computer camera effects that you had not seen we had not seen in film before, and it was me it it was truly. A groundbreaking film and so I watched that movie and I know I've seen it a couple times since but really I haven't seen it much I mean it's actually probably 
I watched it today, but it was, that's was probably the first time I've seen the movie in several years. And the reason I wanted to watch it was there's a couple reasons. Uh, the first reason is is that it kind of works as a natural follow up to the last two movies I reviewed. So the it's a follow, natural follow up to um, Free Guy and the Truman Show, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's going to very much dealing with the issue of the allegory of the cave. Um, but and it also fits into this vibe of following those movies in 1997, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And so um, The Matrix is very much standard it's very so when we were talking about the horror movies a few weeks ago um actually it's already a couple months i guess um when i reviewed screen the movie scream 2 and i know what you did last summer i talked about how these movies are very reflective of culture at the time period and the matrix very much is the same boat it is very reflective of the 90s culture and to understand this, you have to think about the world of postmodernism. And so, and hold on, let me get back to that. Let me get over the plot. So if you have not, if you've seen the movie The Matrix, if you have, hopefully you've seen it. It came out in 1999. It's, you know, it's 22 years ago. But the movie is, so the whole plot is, is this reality that... The entire world we live in is really a computer program, and we are human batteries. Uh, we as humans are batteries for these artificial intelligence, these machines, and they are dominating, enslaving mankind. And, and so that's kind of the very simplistic um, understanding of the movie. And Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, is he is the one to bring peace to defeat the machines and and by the way speaking of oneness and things like this there is definite correlations between the matrix and star wars and um and in case if you're wondering about you know neo being the one in this and anakin being the one if you think they copied off of one another Keep in mind, Star Wars um, Episode One came out only like three months later. It's too close together for one to copy off off the other. And furthermore, George Lucas probably had that already in mind many many years ago, um, before this movie came out. But but anyways, um, and like I said, there are many other Star Wars allusions to it. So anyways, going back to the whole thing of postmodernism. So. There is three great movements, um, so to speak, um, or worldviews through the ages. And so the three great ones, the first one is pre-modernity, pre-modernism. So pre-modernism is, it comes, what comes down to in its definition is who your authority is. And so the authority of a pre-modernist is the authority is always outside of the self. And so truth can be found, is found in something like, so for a pre-modernist, you're probably, like, so for a pre-modernist Christian, your authority is going to come from the Bible. 
Um, if you're Muslim, it'd be the Quran. Um, so there's various sources, various places you get authority, but it always comes from outside of you. There's authority beyond you. Goes You look to, to the divine for your authority of what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is your purpose, what's your direction in life, yeah, etc., etc., etc. Modernity um, believes in the modernist understanding is that truth is found within. It's found within yourself. And so... It's through reason and science and things like that. And it's in modernity that you have things like the scientific method emerge. The Enlightenment pretty much stands as a, a centerpiece to this type of thinking. Is that if you can feel it, see it, taste it, touch it, it's true. Truth is based upon what you can observe. Um, there is no truth beyond you. And so... And and much of the promises of modernity was that science would make the world better. Well, in the 1940s, well, actually, basically in the early 20th century, the um, the chinks in the armor of modernity began to be exposed. And people began to see that science and technology, while it has brought benefits, it's not 100% flawless and and so in the 1990s and so what began to emerge especially in the early 70s was the movement that's known as postmodernism and one of the major threads of postmodernism is to show the failure of science the failure of technology that it is not perfectly given what the world needs so if you want to see this in the 90s movies, you think of the top, most popular movies in the 90s. You have um, you know, the Terminator film, Terminator 2. That's all about machines killing people. Jurassic Park, people using technology to bring dinosaurs back to life and people start getting eaten and things go wrong. Um, the, the Matrix falls very... Well, we'll get to that. Um, if you even you can even go even to movies like the Titanic, um, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Those three movies are real life examples of things that have happened in the la in during the twentieth century, where science had shown its failure. So Titanic was supposed to be the unsinkable ship, right? And well, it sunk. Um, World War Two you saw the horror of the wars. And so the very first scene in um, Saving Private Ryan is that scene of them, you know, invading the beaches of Normandy. And you just see how horrendous the warfare, the battle is. It's one of the most um, memorable scenes in the history of cinema. And, um, and by the way, that actually came out, I think, in... That came out in 98, uh, and then Schindler's List, the Holocaust. I mean, this was incredible evils carried about upon other people using the science and technology. I mean, especially when you consider some of the experiments that they were doing. And so much of postmodern, the 90s films, was very, very much about the 
failure of this promise of technology. Now, it's not to say that technology is completely bad, that there's nothing good. It's rather that it cannot promise everything. It cannot perfectly give everything because it, it too has brought in bad things. And so the Matrix fits right into this mold because it's all about this computers, these um, artificial intelligence destroying humanity and turning humanity into batteries. And so um, the Matrix very, very much fits into the worldview of that. Um, now, I did talk about Star Wars a little bit ago, and we're gonna, I'm probably going to review Star Wars um, somewhere down the road, Episode 1 in particular. And I believe that Episode 1 is the beginning of the turn. So it is a part of postmodernism, but it's a second wave of postmodernism. And I'll probably get to that at another time. It's kind of a more positive one. But the first wave of postmodernist movies were very um, negative postmodernism. It's very pessimistic, very dark. The world is dark and dreary type of mentality it was very common in my movies from the 1990s. Um, and that makes sense because what they grew up in, they grew up in um, the people who were making these movies were people who came up out of the um, civil rights movement, the um, Vietnam, uh, the really, really high crime rates and high divorce rates of the 70s and 80s and early 90s and so obviously that very much influenced their movies and plus they were the first people to hear the history of um you know the holocaust and saw the revelations of what happened in world war ii world war one um and not to mention, then you add in things like the space shuttle challenger exploding right before their very eyes uh, Apollo 13, which also was, by the way, a pretty popular movie during the 90s. Um, another example of technology gone wrong. And so, like I said, it's a very, very common thread. So, that's kind of how The Matrix fits into um, the worldview of that time period. What I'm going to also, we're also going to look into is, I'd like to begin to look at the worldview of the movie itself. And the movie has a lot of philosophical questions, a lot of philosophical debates going on in it. I mean, I don't want to take away from the fact that the movie is indeed um, groundbreaking. Um, some of the scenes, some of the shots were just absolutely awesome. Uh, the, you know, the battle in the building at, towards the end of the movie when uh, Trinity and Neo go into this building and they're they're just they're armed to the teeth and you know they had this firefight it's one of the coolest uh scenes you'll ever see in a movie the you know when neil saves trinity from the crashing helicopter and the helicopter crashes into the building you can see that like ripple effect like the glass is almost like water and um and Trinity, you know, safe, flying, safe, safely gliding away from the fire and an explosion and crashing into the building. I mean, it's an incredible shot. It's a great, um, it's one of those great shots in, in all movies. Uh, the battle, be the fight between uh, Neo and uh, Agent Smith, you know, in, that tr in the train station. Again, or the subway station. Really awesome iconic great great moment in the movie 
I mean, there is so many good things, moments in the movie, and it's and honestly, it still holds up to me. Um, one of the things that helps The Matrix is that it came out in 1999 and not in 2002. And I say that because in 2002, that's when CGI, they got movies started to get a little bit more zeal, overzealous when it came to CGI. And so, um, and CGI, one of its down thing is nowadays CGI is so incredible. I mean, you look at things like Avengers Endgame and you look at Thanos, his entire, the entire movie, the character is CGI and he looks like he's real. So you go back to CGI in 2002, it was pretty poor. But fortunately, The Matrix, while CGI existed, and it was definitely in use, it was not to the scale it was even a few years later. And so for that reason, you don't have as much of the date of the problem of it being dated. Now, the computers that they're using is dated, but that's okay because you're supposed to understand that your main characters are living in 1999. So naturally, they're going to be using computers from 1999. And the computers that are on the ship don't look as fancy as what we have now. But again, if in the world that they're living in, it kind of makes sense because they're supposed to be down and out. They're, they're cowering in the caves and et cetera, et cetera, trying to hide from the computers. So it makes sense that it is that way. So it doesn't really suffer too bad from the dating. Um, but again... The thing that really explore with this movie is uh, its themes, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go. We're going to open. I'm going to turn. Go to the next slide in, in a little bit here. I'm going to show one of the pivotal scenes in the movie, and it's when Neil for first meets Morpheus, and Morpheus begins to slowly begin to reveal to Neil what. The Matrix is. So let's watch that clip. At last. Welcome, Neil. As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. So I don't need you. No. One interesting note about Morpheus is that his name is actually based, follows after a god who is a god of sleep and dreams. Kind of fitting, given some of the conversations with him. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? 
Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hatred. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering... Okay, so one of the things I'd like to highlight in this little moment here. Um, actually, let me get rid of my video. So you see right there, there's, you see the two pills. I think it's really intriguing, the colors that they pick. Now, I'm not, I, had to, I don't know where to look this up, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure if um, NyQuil started doing liquid gels at this time or not. I mean, I know they're definitely doing the liquid stuff, but the... I think it's really interesting that the two colors are red and green, or blue, and the blue one looks kind of similar to a NyQuil, and the red one looks very similar to a DayQuil. And so the whole idea is that if he takes the, um, he takes the DayQuil one, or the NyQuil one, he goes to sleep. He goes back to sleep in the bliss that he, the blissful ignorance he had been living in. If he takes the red one. He keeps awake and he keeps down going down this journey. I thought that's kind of a neat little touch, whether intentional or not. I'm not sure. 
Um, but in the this whole conversation between Neo and Morpheus, there is so much um, to dissect and talk about. So uh, I'm looking at I just look at the IMDb and all the quotes that are from this movie and there is so many things to talk about so he so for one of the questions i like so morpheus asks him is um do you believe in fate neo and neo says no why not because i don't like the idea that i'm not in control of my life and this is a re this is a point that's going to that comes through the movie is the conflict between the idea of fate and free will or better yet the, the conflict between providence and free will now a movie i think that deals with this a bit better um it's a movie i'd like to do sometime in the future and that is stranger than fiction um with uh will ferrell but this one this still kind of deals with it is that there's a fate there is a destiny that he has that he is the one i mean he's neo neo the Neo is just an amalgam um, for one, one. So, or Neo means new. So he's the new one, which even plays into the story of that there was someone before him. Uh, but, you know, he has this fate, but it's clear he does have a will. He makes his own decisions, you know, and that comes through. And, you know, and the thing what kind of gets highlighted is the, um the intriguing nature of providence there was one moment where there's a scene later in the movie where uh neo is talking with the oracle and she tells him uh don't worry about the vase and he says what vase and he turns around and he knocks the vase over and he says oh i'm so sorry he says told you not to worry about it and so he asked, said, you know that I, you knew I was going to do that. How'd you know I was going to do that? And she responds, what's going to bake your noodle is, would you have knocked it over if I hadn't said it, if I had said something? And that's the thing is free will is free will determinism. Um, do we have a free will? Are we programmed to live a certain way? Oh, man, is that a discussion for the ages? It's one that has been debated through the ages. And then you add into the idea, if there is, you know, it's the idea of a higher power. And so, obviously, as a Christian, as a pastor, I believe that there is a higher power. Is That is God. And so, but God knows all things. It says in Ephesians that before the foundations of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Um... You have passages like, before you were born, I knew you. I knew you in the womb. You know, those type of things. And so the question is, like, did we, do we have a free will if he knows everything? And so it is a very, very complex relationship in nature um, between free will and fate. Or providence. And so, yeah, it brings into that question. And I don't think it really gives an answer in this movie. Uh, but it's... A, it definitely gets introduced here. Um, and so, 
He talks about the Matrix. It's everywhere. And then there's this last part where he says, you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. And that is something to be brought up later. Um, I'm going to go through some other quotes here uh, before I get into some of uh, some more high point philosophy. Um, but I'm going to look. I'm looking here at um, again the Matrix quotes. Um, this is right off of um, Internet Movie Database. Just there's a quite a few quotes on here. 114. Um, but so there's one where he comes and he's talking to the boy. Uh, do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. Uh, so this goes into a question here. And this is a question that gets brought up through the Matrix. Is What constitutes reality? What makes something real? Is it, is it set? It's made the question. It's like, is it real because you could taste it, see it, touch it? Does that make it real? But, you know, I think about this. Um, one of the reasons why I try not to drink caffeine before I go to sleep is because when I go, if I drink caffeine before I go to sleep, I tend to get really funky dreams. Um, <laughs> and ironically, last night I made the mistake and I drank, drank some Dr. Pepper before I went to sleep, but I had some really weird dreams. And so... But the thing is, is, when you have a dream, you feel like it's real. You are certain. In the state of the dream, you are certain that that is reality. And it's not until you wake up that you realize something's wrong. And so this leads to the whole question is, how do we know that our reality is reality? And this has always been the discussion. This has been a debate throughout the ages. How do I know that I'm real? How do I know that I am awake? Um, the movie Inception very much deals with this. Um, Rene, Rene Descartes, his famous quote, I think, therefore I am, is based upon this question, is how do I know that reality is reality? And it's basically reality, it's coming to the terms so talking about that whole issue of modernity, modernity was arguing that if he could taste it, see it, touch it, etc., etc., that that is real. But here in the Matrix, it is making the case that what you see, you taste, you touch, etc., etc., is just electrical signals. And we know people who have seen things that are not there um, because of a, maybe it's a medication, because of dementia, um, any type of other mental illnesses, they will see things that are not there. They will experience realities that, as we could tell, we could tell did not happen. And so the question is, so it's the reality is that our senses are not always reliable. And so when you realize that your senses are not 100% reliable, how do you know that you yourself exist? Um, I mean, how you know, go back to the movie Free Guy from a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, he, as far as he was concerned, he was real. How do we know we're not a character in a video game? You know, that type of question. And so the answer Rene Descartes gave was, I think, therefore I am. And so how he knows he exists is based upon his ability to think. But he lived before an era of artificial of computers. So what if computers became able to think for themselves? And so raising that question, how do you know you exist? 
And that is a, one of the great philosophical questions through the ages. Um, all right, so I'm going to keep going here. Let's see a few other ones. Um, so here, yeah, here's that quote just going with this. Morpheus says, what is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you could feel, what you could smell, what you could taste, what you can see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. This quote by Morpheus is a direct um, argument against um, empiricism or the thinking of the Enlightenment, the thinking of modernity. So it is a direct strike against modernism because um, it's directly contra going after what they believed, what is was the belief of that wor of that worldview. Um, so keeping going here. Um, yeah, here going with the dream world. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you're so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? And so this is... Um, so these are just some of the things that... Really big conversations that come from this movie. So what I'm going to do... so. I'm going to get into it with some more stuff here because there's more. I could, you know, people could write entire textbooks just talking about the ideas in this movie. You could do a clock, you could do a course in philosophy just using the uh, Matrix films. So, but we're going to go back to this and uh, we're going to go to this next slide. So, one of the things here is in the movie. Our next point in the movie there's definite um call re relationship to christianity and so there are characters that definitely personify other people now here's as you see right here on the screen just a few of them that kind of get personified in the story of the film so um, Neo is definitely a bit of a Jesus figure in the fact that he is the one. And there's many quotes that they say. Um, I mean, like one of the one of the first when you first meet Neo, he's asleep, and this computer is coming on. Um, but the, somebody knocks on the door, and he gets this thing for this guy, this uh, software or whatever. And the guy says, "Oh, thank you, man. You are my own personal savior." Um, you know, he makes that little comment and so there's a little, there's a few really obvious moments where he's supposed to be a Jesus figure. Um, you have, um, well, you have Cypher who betrays, um, everybody kind of being a, a, a Judas, um, Morpheus is the one that prepares the way. He's the one that was told that he would, he would find, um, the one. He would discover the one, and so, similarly, G John the Baptist was the one the way who prepared the way for Jesus. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Before this, Morpheus was the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Neo, preparing the way for the one. Um, so, uh. So similarly, so there's that comparison. Uh, Trinity 
is sort of the John the Baptist, is actually kind of a bit of the Apostle John, because she is the disciple, the student, whatever, that Neo loves. Um, so kind of have that. I mean, yes, John was male and Trinity's female, um, but you kind of get that. Um, and you also notice here that I have on the screen a picture of Moses. And the reason is, is because Moses is uh, personified, not in any character you see on screen, but somebody that gets mentioned. Because they talk about that, um, so Neo is the one, but they talk about that one time there was an original person. There is an original the one or whatever. Um, and I would say that might be kind of a prefiguring of Moses. And this goes very well to the theme of slavery that Morpheus talks about. Um, so when he's talking with uh, Neil for the first time, he talks about that um, that you were you were a slave, Neil. You were born in slave bondage. So this is actually um, this connects with Moses, who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. So similarly, the first one was the 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 first Neo, so to speak. He was the one that led the first group of people out of bondage to the machines. Uh, made them aware, made them awake, so to speak. Um, but the one, Neo, the new one, Neo, is the one who would bring balance, so to speak. Or, you know, take down the machines or defeat the machines. And so he is fully leading people out of bondage. And so that's kind of that, um, again, a little bit more of the biblical theme. Um, and yes, a lot of times sin is, being in sin, we're born into bondage of sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus led up, leads us out of slavery to sin, death, and the devil. And so, again, a very similar uh, con comparison here. Uh, and you also have some biblical names. The name of the ship is Nebuchadnezzar. Um, who is the king who led the people who actually um, who he was the king uh, Babel, of Babylon uh, and he led the people of, of Israel out of exile during into exile so I don't know if, how what the, I can't think of any really good connection there why that got called the Nebuchadnezzar uh, and then the other one is that the whole the home place, the place of refuge for people who have been rescued, who have been freed from the um, from the Matrix, the name of it is Zion. That's the last human city, Zion, which the city of refuge, the city of salvation, in the the old in the scriptures is Zion, Mount Zion, and so there's a lot of very definite biblical references and i do think they're intentional i don't think they're on accident um and so i but, and so the question is 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 the wachowski brothers who made this film are they doing this because they're trying to make a christian allegory or something like that kind of like the way that c.s lewis sort of did with his chronicle of narnia books or is he just drawing from the mythology and the stories of the scriptures to create this story. I would probably lean towards the latter. Uh, based upon what we know of the Wachowskis themselves, 
they don't give really much inclination of people who are very devout Christians, uh, but they do give the inclination of people who have experience with Christianity. And so very much more likely that the movie isn't Christian, but it does draw upon Christian themes, which is kind of common in cinema. And so, but a lot of the themes that are going on in the Matrix is actually not really consistent with um, is consistent with Christianity as it is consistent with uh, pl Platonism uh, or Neoplatonism or um, Eastern religions. So this is going to lead to so going to the Platonist thing. We go back to that same subject we talked about many times in the last two videos, and that is the allegory of the cave. And by the way, where is Zion? It's in a cave. I think that's kind of intriguing. Um, so everybody is in, in the story. Everyone is enchained. So think the allegory of the cave. The allegory of the cave. So this is review if you watched the last two videos. So I apologize for um, going through something that I went through already. Um... So, this is, so you, people are chained, all right? They're chained up against the wall, and the truth that they see is what is bared on the wall. Cast by, the light, is, the images are created by a flame, and these marionette figures that people walk along and show it up on the wall. And meanwhile... And so they don't have any real truth except for the truth that the marionette actors want them to see. When somebody gets freed from the chain, they go out to the cave and they, they get stunned by the sun. Their eyes hurt and they have difficulty observing it. And then when they come out of the light, they slowly and gradually see the fullness of truth. All right. The Matrix is very, very much following under un, under this ideology. And so, in the Matrix film, the, you are, everybody is, the whole, the story of the Matrix is pretty much everyone is born in the chains. They're chained in those little pods that you see in the movies, those birthing pods or whatever that people are born into. And so they're there, and the reality they have is the reality that is given to them by the machines. And so they don't have real truth. They don't know real truth. They only know the truth that is being shown to them. All right? So, and so when Neo is freed from those chains... He gets breaking. He gets. He breaks free from the chain, and the thing that breaks him free is when he takes that blue, that red pill. So he continues to awaken to the light. And by the way, notice the very first thing they tell him is, "Wake up." That's the first thing that's on his computer. Wake up, Neo. It's not just wake up from your nap or your late night rest. He's saying, "Wake up from the Matrix, the sleep of the Matrix." And by the way, this is very common terminology here from so many people nowadays. They think they're really clever. They're like, wake up to what's going on with um, COVID-19. Wake up to this. Wake up to that. And they think they're all clever or whatever, and you're not. You're just, you're just spouting language of this philosophy. And they 
they don't know it. Um, they don't know the philosophical foundations that they're proposing as if they are the ones they are that are enlightened. Um, when in fact, if you actually search a lot of people's thoughts, you realize that they're just in another cave um, and they're watching just a different wall. Uh, to be in, there's a level of truth that every single one of us are getting marionettes. Every single one of us has a certain story being put on the wall for us. But anyways, The Matrix, so back to the movie The Matrix. Um, so when he gets awakened, when he gets removed from the the pod and he's there's he makes this comment of why does my eyes hurt? Why do my eyes hurt? And the response is you never used them before. Well, that's because that's him stepping out of the cave for the first time and his eyes hurt from the sun. And as he goes out, he more and more realizes the details of reality. And he's able to do more and more. And he realizes that the reality that he thought was reality was all fake. And so, and he was able to do do these really cool things while in the Matrix. Because he know, cause when he goes to the Matrix, he's returning to the cave. But he knows the cave is fiction. And he can react to it appropriately. And when he steps out, he knows what the real truth is. And so that is kind of the whole thing of where the Matrix, again, it's very, very much an allegory of the cave film. Um, just, and so it's, yeah, we keep going through, there's a lot of philosophy going through here. So this is, and this is going to lead to is, the question is, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the, Matrix is because I realize is I was thinking about the movie is how real it has become. And let me go back to this one of these quotes from the movie. And it says here, this is from Agent Smith. He says, Did you know that the first Matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone would be happy? It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world. But I believe that, as a species, human beings define their reality through suffering and misery. The perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from. Which is why the Matrix was designed to this. The peak of your civilization. I say your civilization because as soon... Now here's the, here's the keeper. I say your civilization because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization. Which is of course what this is all about. Listen to that. As soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization. See, now we're not, as far as I know, we're not literally connected to a matrix, to computers, to machines. We're not literally batteries. But we're connected to them. Things like this. I have this watch on me, so I get an email, text, phone calls, whatever. 
This is this image you see there. Are we chained? Is this our cave? With social media, our cave. And the messages that we see come scrolling down the that newsfeed, whether it be on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. Is that our is that the wall? And we're all playing together as and we keep sharing the marionettes of others and make sure that that reality is what we see. And we convince ourselves that because of the truth that we've seen on the wall, we look at everyone else like they're madmen because they see that something is wrong with what's on the wall. And they're total they're just perceived as madmen for saying, guys, this is not truth. Just because it's on this your Facebook wall. Interesting, isn't it? That we call it our wall. The newsfeed at one time was called the wall. It is your illusion. This marionette that's been put on your Facebook wall. And when somebody tells you, questions the reality that you see on your computer screen, they're seen as madmen. So unchained, so enthralled are we with our cave. And the more we get stuck, sucked into it, the more we divulge into it, the more we drink of it and feed on it, the more deluded we become to reality, to truth. How much of the division in our country is because we're looking on two different walls? And anybody that's looking on a wall different than yours is a madman, man. If somebody considers the possibility that there's a level of truth and a level of falsehood on both walls, now they the true madmen but that's the thing is if you get off the wall you stand out into the light and you see the truth and you see the mir the marionette players who are casting the shadows onto our our screens they're going to be perceived as madmen matrix is very the allegory of the cave is quite accurate. Now the question is, is who's the sun? Where is the illumination of truth? And this is actually why I think post-modernity post would say that the illusion of truth comes from the community. But really that's actually just changing caves. No, the... The allegory of the cave derived itself from pre-modernity. And so the pre-modernists would not consider truth to come from the community. No, they'd say it come from a single source. Now they'd say it probably came from logic and reason. Which as we find in modernity is limited. As a Christian I would argue that the illumination comes from the scripture. 
thinking on what all I've been talking about. Consider these words of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with Him, with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is... Freedom from these shackles. Freedom from this bondage is found in here. Now technology and those, you know, social media and all those things, that they're they're not evil in and of themselves. But when they become our barometer of truth at the exclusion of what's outside of it. Then we're in trouble. Then we're the slaves. We are chained. So that's where I'm going to end with is this this reaction, this review, analysis of the Matrix. And the next movie I am going to do is um, we're going to start. We're going to do a few weeks in a row worth of football movies. So going a very different direction. Um, so because we're heading into the, the football seasons and high school's already started, college football starting next week. And so I'm thinking, so the, here's basically, I'm thinking the movie that we're going to do next week is either going to be, um, Varsity Blues or Remember the Titans, most likely Remember the Titans. So until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we be afraid? Thy word is a lamp unto your, our feet. May that be what illuminates our truth. In Jesus' name, amen.